Welcome back to Legally Judgy. I'm Nicole. And I'm Alexa. Hey, girl. Let's get right into our little bulletin board. Woody woot. So, as a reminder for everybody who doesn't know, we have our Patreon where we have uncut episodes, our community hub that's got some behind the scenes footage, polls, and more. And we've got mini sods there. So, if you don't get enough of legal content on this episode and all of our former episodes, you can go there for more. So check us out on Patreon. The link is literally on every single platform we are on because we are two desperate ass bitches. Very thirsty. Yeah. Slurp, slurp. Um, We also need to announce, my dear friend, we're going to have a little winter vacations. Yes, you're right. A little little extra time off for us. Yep. Which which we know is going to be heartbreaking to our judges. It's Mm -hmm. it's kind of heartbreaking to us, but we we need the R&R. I think. Just a little bit. Just just a few naps. So this is going to be the last episode of the year. Um, we will miss you greatly, but don't worry. We will see you next year, which I actually hate when people say that. Cause it sounds so dramatic. It's like, yeah. it's like, Susan, it's, it's one week. We'll see you next week. Susan. It's always somebody in like account. Like what's that thing called accounts payable? Who's like, can't wait to see you in the new <laughs> year. And you're like, Oh my God, fuck off. It would be the accountants who are like the calendar, the fiscal year is over. Exactly. So next year it's like every, it's very dramatic. Yeah. So, it. so we're, ta- we're taking two weeks off instead of our typical one week off. So like Alexa said, we're taking two weeks off. Our first episode back will be Tuesday, January 11th. We will come back refreshed, rested, looking super cute, though you can't mostly see us through these episodes. So (laughs) that we look super cute while we do all this when you can't see us. Love that for us. Our last episode of the year. We don't want to introduce any new topics. We got to save something for our peoples in 2022, but we do want to go over some big episodes, topics we've covered this year and give some updates. Cause I feel like there's a couple topics we've covered this year that have had meaningful updates since all the hot goss. Do you want to start us out with the, uh, scamming wizard of Oz? Of course. Jen Shaw. Of course. So Jen Shaw as background, as, you know, as a reminder, she is a star on the real housewives of Salt Lake city on Bravo and is married to a football coach. Jen is like, you know, as we've talked about on the episode, she was the one who was always super fancy, super over the top. She's not humble at all about the lifestyle that she leads. And so all of this kind of came to a head when in March 2021, she and her assistant, Stuart Smith, were arrested for allegedly conspiring to commit wire fraud and launder money in connection with the telemarketing scam. And so interestingly enough, and probably making Andy Cohen very happy. Jen was arrested while filming for the Real Housewives. And so the whole group of women was basically leaving for a ski trip and she essentially flees to go back home where she's then arrested. Like that basically as she pulls up to her house, the FBI and Homeland Security and like other cops and things were already at her house ready to put handcuffs on her. Which is crazy to me that that and they had Bravo had been kind of sneak peeking that scene, right? They like mm-hmm. really played it up. Bravo's so ecstatic that this is happening, which is problematic in and of itself, but we won't get into that right now. Um, but I want to point out how, when I watched it, I was like, oh shit, that's not scripted. Like Mm-mm. it is Mm-mm. clear that Jen really nope. thought she was going to do this little, you know, housewives filming thing and did not expect the FBI, Homeland Security, everybody to be coming for her. Uh-uh. Like the so. moments watching her take that phone call. And the thing for me is, damn, this woman can lie. I'm not going to, this is my own personal opinion. I feel like because when the women asked what's going on, she, without skipping a beat goes, 
my husband is in the hospital. He has internal bleeding. Dead, like dead pan delivery. Which is and also so fucked up because I'm one of those superstitious people, and I think you are too, where like I oh, I like to have an excuse, right? I like to get out of things. There are a lot of times I just want to stay on the couch with my fleece blankie. And I'm like, what's a good excuse that I can use to not go to this obligation that I have? But like, I try to refrain from putting illnesses (laughs) on people that are not real because I'm always like, if I say it, it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And also like, don't joke about that because also, and like, I I don't want to judge somebody for reacting in a way that I don't think is the way they should react, but this is legally judging. I guess judging is part of what we do on here. If my wife had internal bleeding, if I found out, if I suddenly got a call and she was in the hospital with internal bleeding, mm-hmm. best believe I'm not going to be calm and just be like, everything's fine. No, you don't have to stay ahead. That I'd be like, I don't even have time to talk to any of you guys. I'm out. Like you might not even get an explanation from me. Right? She literally like stopped and told everybody and gave hugs and kisses and was like, I'll see you later. Like not a, a tear was shed. You know, my hot mess ass self, it's going to be snot and tears for days. My <laughs> like- husband. <laughs> <laughs> <Come in. laughs> no, you would just react with them. Em- yeah. With emotion. And that's why I just also we can't help it. We know that that wasn't the case. Right. We know that he wasn't in the hospital with internal bleeding. So it's easier in retrospect to be watching that scene and go. Wow, you came up. That was your lie. That was like your go-to, and so and quickly. Not, not that we expected her to be like, "Oh yeah, actually, guys, I'm um in being investigated for you know this huge telemarketing scheme where I defrauded like allegedly I defrauded like all these old elderly people." But you just so quick to be like, "My husband's in the hospital." I know, I know. <laughs> all that I'm bringing that up because I think that's super sus, and it doesn't make me want to trust her when she says she's not guilty. Well, you were not the only one who does not trust trust her. So going back, so Jen and her assistant, Stuart, like I said, were arrested and they were each charged with one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud and conspiring to commit money laundering in connection with running this national telemarketing scheme that I mentioned that essentially targeted elderly and computer illiterate people. And so allegedly Jen and Stuart, plus a number of other folks, victimized 10 or more, aka hundreds actually, of people over the age of 55, which started back in 2002. But it's actually worth noting that Stewart goes on to later say that his involvement started back in 2008. Ouch. Yeah, so lots of years in progress now. And so Jen and Stewart are what's called, they're in what's called the tier A group of conspirators, which basically means they're the most culpable. And so the government, when putting together their case, grouped the defendants based on how involved or how bad their crimes were, how many people like they had personally interacted with, et cetera. And so because Jenna Stewart allegedly were involved with like the worst and the most of it, they were put in the TRA group. And so the government even said, goes on to basically say that they claimed that Jen and Stewart orchestrated like this entire thing in a very broad scheme. So as a result of these charges and all the claims the government is making, Stewart was looking at 70 years in jail and Jen was looking at 50 years in jail. And so as backup, kind of like for some of the claims the government was putting forth, besides like the hard evidence in terms of, you know, various records and evidence, prosecutors also said that they really flaunted their lavish lifestyles when it was all a fraud. And then it was all in quotes at the expense of vulnerable, often elderly working class people, and even said that Jen and Stewart continued to scam people after being charged. So all this kind of results in the initial hearing after Jen got arrested on TV. And so her and Stu plead not guilty naturally. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell the folks where things are now? 
Yeah. Uh, things have changed, Nicole. I don't know. If you're, <laughs> Tell me if you're about aware. it. A Co- couple things have changed. So November last year, Stu Stu uh, switches his plea from guilty to sorry, not guilty to guilty. Well, yep. that w- that really was anti. Huh? I built up a lot. And then Do I you want to say it again? You just want- <laughs> okay, girl. It's the end of year. No, it's okay. I just let the people see. I'm a little imperfect sometimes. I just so let's just restate. He he pleads guilty. Stu most Stu recently, <laughs> switches his plea from not guilty to guilty when he appears before the judge last month in November, yep. which is insane. Mm-hmm. So he pleads guilty to conspiracy to commit wire fraud money laundering and obstruction of justice. And of course, we don't have a direct line with him yet. So we <laughs> speculate about uh, couldn't so text him. <laughs> if you're listening, feel free to drop us a line um, at Legally Judgy and we will get into it about why you changed your mind. So we're just going to speculate here. I think, you know, we you and I have talked about this. I think a lot of this is because he probably actually was guilty. He knew, like you said, that he was facing up to 70 years in prison yep. and there was more, more mounting evidence. Other people were going down and being found guilty and being charged. And he knew that it, they were coming for him. And in order to get a reduced sentence from 70 years to, you know, less than 70 years, whatever he can work out with the government, he's just agreeing to basically comply with the government, help give them information, just admit to it, avoid the whole trial and in return, get a lesser sentence. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's why. And I do when, when this first hit, I remember thinking, oh shit, Jen's going to go down Mm -hmm. if she's involved, but I can't help but think she is because he, I bet a big part of what the government wants from him is evidence against Jen. And I mean, listen, I think if you, if for you who've been watching this season, I think as things have been rolled, right, because there have been a number of episodes actually before he changed his plea, she is not like, the most supportive person. And for somebody who was on all of last season with her and was supposed to be like her right hand and her best friend and her assistant, she kind of quickly changes her tune. So that being said, like, I wonder if that kind of created some ripples in the water. And if he started to question like how loyal to her, he actually should and need it to be. Right. I think so too. I mean, that happens a lot too, when you have multiple defendants where, you know, you're going to try to, as the government, the prosecution, you're going to try to get to each one of them and see, okay, who can essentially break and stop being loyal to each other? Who's going to snitch. And then once the other one finds out the other one snitched, then that that person's going to snitch too. And then they kind of start pointing fingers at each other. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. Also her behavior on there is just not good. It's like, how, how do you praise this man? And then all of a sudden you start tearing him down. I know. Anyways, um, it's worth noting, though, that from what we can find, he hasn't actually named Jen in his plea. Um, It seemed like a more general statement. He told the court that he, in quotes, knowingly and intentionally discussed and engaged with other individuals to develop a plan or operation to obtain money by false representations, end quote. He also said that he was aware that they were misleading customer and Uh, customers and selling them services that were of no value or benefit to them. Mm -hmm. So very general, but I would be surprised if outside of all this, he doesn't end up naming her specifically. Yeah. But that's TBD. Mm -hmm. So he's going to be sentenced on March 3rd. He's currently out on bail. So I presumably the government didn't think he was too much of a flight risk, meaning that he could leave, you know, Utah, even the United States 
get out so that he doesn't have to come back and, you know, essentially go back to prison. Cause essentially I think he will serve some time. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine they let him off with no time. Although sometimes depending on the plea, people do get off without having to serve time, um, for less egregious offenses. Yeah. Um, that is not going to be the case here. Um, mm-hmm. what about you? You want to update us on, on Jen? Yeah, so on the other side of things, Jen's team recently filed a motion to dismiss the fraud indictment charge against her. And Jen alleges basically that her right to a fair trial was compromised by the Hulu documentary, The Housewife and the Shaw Shocker, and said that private info was made public by two of the Homeland Security agents who made an appearance on the show. And so a couple of weeks ago, basically in December, the judge denies this motion and said that this, the home, the agents um, who made statements in the show were about telemarketing fraud generally and overall. And they kind of made some general references to the lifestyles of the people involved in their investigation, but didn't make any specific enough claims about Jen to have compromised her ability to have a fair trial. Mm-hmm. And so it's worth noting as well, the prosecutors also pointed out how Jen continues to make public appearances, both on The Real Housewives, right? Because there's obviously this new season and talking about the charges herself while she does like various interviews with, you know, social media platforms and entertainment channels, et cetera. And so I think that dilutes like what she's saying about, you know, information being out and her not being able to have a fair trial when she's doing the same thing that those investigators essentially did. It's only fair when it's her opinion, Nicole. Come on. Oh, for sure. Naturally, when she's defending herself and throwing Stewart under the bus. So Jen's trial is now set to begin in March of 2022. And so I think to your point, right? Like, I'm actually really curious to see how Stewart's plea of now guilty is going to impact Jen and how hard it's going to be for her to basically attack his character when she goes to trial kind of given all of this recent background and like the new happenings that we've got here. That's literally what I was thinking about too, because, you know, this is something that we talked about when we first covered, you know, her on the episode was like, Stuart was like her best friend. It seemed like her number one assistant, literally. And like her BFF, she said how much she relied on him. Mm-hmm. How he was with her businesses. And these are the types of things that I'm thinking, okay, now that he's pled guilty and presumably, you know, this is, this is yet to be determined, but I think that it will come out. He's going to implicate her specifically. Mm-hmm. Is she going to handle it? How are you going to balance the fact that you said that he was this great guy and now he's guilty. My only thing is I'm thinking maybe you say he deceived you. You had no idea he was doing these things behind your back. But if he's running your businesses, how do you how do you still plead ignorance at the least? Right. I guess if she, let's just presume she's not guilty of these things. She's then very, very careless, negligent mm-hmm, because she mm-hmm. should have been paying attention to her businesses more. She should have been over- overseeing what he was doing. Mm-hmm but I'm just not buying it. I, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine now that he's pled guilty for me. It looks bad for her. And as we've talked about, right. In other episodes, even if she didn't necessarily know, but he's an employee of hers, she could still be liable through, you know, various legal theories that basically say like, as an employer or somebody who like supervises other, you have some kind of liability for the things that they do on your behalf. Yes. Yeah. It's like, a, we don't, we don't get too dorky, but an agent. Agency, mm-hmm. 
right? Yep. And, which employer employees a form of agency, essentially meaning that the, like you said, employer is responsible for the employee's actions. So long as, and there's like these factors, right. has to be like during work hours. It's not like employers are responsible for what you do on Saturday night. If you're not right. working Saturday night and you're at the club, like that doesn't count. But like yeah. if it's Monday morning and you're supposed to be on the job and you are on the job and you do something, yeah, then employers, the employer is going to be, uh, liable. So obviously there are facts that need to come out, but just personally, my, my opinion is that it's looking worse and worse for her, especially as other people are going down around her. And I just feel like her lawyer is trying to get everything dismissed because of a Hulu documentary is also not a great look. I just, the PR, everything is just not looking good. I'm just not happy. No. I'm just going to be honest. But of course, we will stay tuned. Like I said, the trial sets begin in March, so I'm sure a lot will come out along the way. I mean, query if she even pleads guilty herself before then is like the evidence continues to mount against her. But we'll stay tuned. Um, we will also stay tuned to her marriage to Coach Coach Sharif Shah. Yep. Uh, Jen recently did an interview and basically said that all of this has put a strain on their marriage, not surprisingly. Mm-hmm. And she said the two actually considered divorce recently because her husband thought that he wasn't being a positive influence in her life. All of which I think means that a divorce is coming, which I'm sure will be just in time for season three of The Real Housewives, because usually these things happen like the first day of the next season. So got to have a good storyline going into a new season. Yeah. Also, like what a way to spin this, right? Like she's on trial for allegedly conspiring to defraud of hundreds of elderly people. And the reason for the divorce is because he's not being a positive influence in her life. I'm just like, what, what? There is an odd couple. Like they were always a very odd couple. It's been like the conversations that they had and the things that they would say to each other. I just, I don't, I don't understand. It almost reminded me of like a parent child relationship. Like the way that she would talk to him, it was like, she was like a young, immature, naive kid being like, Sharif, what should I do? (laughs) And I'm like, what are you talking about, lady? You're a full grown adult. You don't know how to, you know, like the the nature of what she would like. How do I have more patience? I'm like, yeah, girl, you are. I actually don't know how old she is, but older. She has to be in her 40s, 50s, let's say. That's that's generous. Yeah. 40s. Generous. (laughs) 40s is generous. (laughs) But yeah, possibly. Anyway. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Um, Speaking of uh, divorces. Yeah, uh, got him. Who's getting divorced? <laughs> Dr. Dre is really <laughs> celebrating these days, my friend. Um, so to recap for anybody who has not yet listened to our Dr. Dre and Nicole Young divorce episode, which I feel like was a pretty good one. We really dug into uh, divorces in California. Dr. Dre and Nicole Young were going through some d- divorce issues. Um, and I say that because Nicole Young Uh, Dr. Dre's wife of 24 years had filed for divorce from him in the summer of 2020, and they had been battling it out ever since. And when I say battling it out, I mean, (laughs) World War Three. It is Game of Thrones style over it over at that house. Really bad in the young household or or lack thereof a household, I guess. Um, So she cites irreconcilable differences, which basically means that a person and their spouse can't get along anymore. And legally, it typically means that the filing spouse isn't seeking to prove that the other person did something wrong, essentially a no fault divorce when you hear Mm -hmm. that. And if you want more details, go listen to that episode. It's a good one. It was a good one, especially if you need some divorce tips. I mean, there's there's some nuggets in there. So she asks for a ton of money, like a lot of money. She essentially comes out with the bank. She says she wants two million dollars a month in spousal support fees, which is crazy. But of course, 
Dr. Trey comes back. He goes, uh-uh, we have a prenup, meaning a contract that you, that two people enter into and sign before they get married. That typically says what each person owns and what their property rights are going to be if, and when they divorce, you know, Mm -hmm. sadly, but you got to account for that. And each state has its own laws about enforcement and validity of the prenup. Um, Essentially though, the agreement has to be fair and that's going to be based on the circumstances of the couple. So moral of the story here is if you are entering into a prenup or thinking about getting one, make sure you have a lawyer and make sure your future spouse has a lawyer, because that's going to be a huge thing. Courts are going to look at in terms of making sure that it was fair. Cause if everybody has a lawyer, people are going to assume, all right, you, you both had advocates. You guys are good. Um, anyway, go listen to that episode. If you want more details, uh, anyways, back to Dr. Dre and Nicole, it gets very, very messy big bit of a trigger warning here. Um, but you know, she claims at certain points that he was physically abusive. Um, she pointed to his history of being physically abusive toward mm-hmm. women. Um, this doesn't make it better, but she, at some point she serves him at his grandma's funeral with, uh, with very messy. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's so bad. It's so bad. She allegedly embezzled money from one of his businesses in like uh, a couple hundred thousand. It wasn't like, it was not a, it was not a small amount. Not it was, she didn't just like go into his wallet and was like, I need a 20. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, she also tried to subpoena several of his mistresses. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. Very, very messy. Um, and during the summer he was actually ordered to pay her $300,000 a month, AKA $3.5 million a year in spousal support. And to cover her expenses for her health insurance, security, and maintenance of two of their houses. They have many others, but many. Just, just, just two. Um, and the order was supposed to remain in place until she remarried, um, died, or, you know, for the court order. That's where we last left off, my friend. That was yeah. a lot. So if you could take it from here and tell the peoples where we're I at you, now. I got your back. Thank you. I got your back. So in November... Dr. J reportedly goes back to court and reveals to the court that his entire estate isn't as big as many may may have thought it was and that he only has, just bear with me, he only has $183 million in cash, $269 million in property and assets, and $6 million in stocks only. How bad do you feel for him? I feel terrible. Like maybe we should give him some money. We can should we start? A, should, we, should we start a what's that thing? Go on me. Yeah. Go me. Just for the just in time for the holidays. Yeah. <laughs> um. And, okay. And like this is very wealthy, but I do have to say on the flip side, people have been speculating that he's worth eight hundred million to even over a billion, probably closer to when he sold his his Beats um stock, but or mm-hmm. sold it to Apple. But still, I mean, we're looking at about half of what yep. people thought he had. I mean, yep. for 450 million, I'm not feeling too sorry for him, right? That's approximately like where his wealth comes out to, but yeah. Hmm. Poor, poor him. Go poor on. Him. Sorry. Well, it's fine. I love that. I love the shade. So mm-hmm. reportedly Dr. Dre and Nicole recently reached a settlement where he'll pay her one big lump sum as opposed to continuing these like monthly, you know, payments that the court initially ordered. And so of course it's confidential. So it's really not clear how much she's getting, but people are speculating. She'll probably get a really big piece of his approximately $450 million fortune. I mean, partially because she's been, she's been around for so long, right? Like Mm -hmm. without a prenup, she'd probably be entitled to like 50% of most of these things, just given Mm -hmm. how marriage works. But 
you know, like we talked about in the episode, the beats by Dr. Dre, like those were started while he was with Nicole. And so she was a pivotal part, even through his home life of him building, you know, that billion dollar, couple billion dollar, like company for Apple essentially. Right. Right. So again, we're not really sure how much he's, how much she's going to get, but she's going to get one big lump sum here. And so the agreement is still not signed. So it, things are like bound to change, but after it is again, he'll no longer have to pay her the monthly spousal support the court initially ordered. And so of course, in true messy Dr. Dre and Nicole fashion, <laughs> a lot of this even came to light because Dr. Dre posted a picture on his Instagram recently that had balloons that spelled out divorced AF or as fuck. And so <laughs> What a way to celebrate the end of a beautiful marriage than divorce this fuck on Instagram. The pettiness. It must have been. I mean, I hate when people settle because then we don't get to know what happened. And I'm so nosy. Like, I'm like, just give us a little crumb, like just uh, over under, like tell us over under, like, would you give her, you know, just I like a little like rough estimate. Yeah. Like 10 mil, 15, like wink, wink twice, Dr. Dre, if it's more, you know, or like, <laughs> yeah. t- like, tell me, what did she get? But he obviously is happy about it. Whatever this big lump sum is to celebrate in this way i'm sure he just wants to be done with it and not have it linger about like monthly like the, the idea of having future monthly payments no matter what yeah yeah just agree but at least just get it like done with yes. now and like you know that you're all set we don't have to interact anymore our two children together are grown so as fuck. we're done yeah everything as fuck. everything is af yeah <laughs> just like Issa Rae on insecure <laughs> There you go. There you go. Well, so we have other people who are celebrating lots and lots of happiness on Instagram. Uh, The posts may be a little bit more odd, but equally celebratory. (laughs) So our girl, Brittany, Brittany Spears. She, her posts really are very weird. I can't get over sending them to you. I just, I'm so you intrigued. You sent me like every single one at this point. I'm so intrigued. I think I've become one of those people who start decoding like what she means. And I'm like, is it really Brittany? Like, I, yeah. I know who the real Brittany is. Like, Brittany would never use that rose emoji. She only uses that. You know, like, how would I know? I don't know yeah, what she actually fine. uses. Anyway, all- what's going on with Brittany? Okay, so brief rundown. There was obviously, if you have not listened to the Britney episode, please go listen. There is so much context and history there that we cannot even begin to like really capture in this little rundown, but just like a little, just a little taster. Mm -hmm. So Britney enters into a conservatorship in 2008, which impacted her finances, her personal life and her medical decisions. So basically her entire fucking life. Right. And so as a reminder, conservatorship is basically, so it happens after a court process that occurs if a state thinks that an adult is incapable of making their own decisions or is vulnerable to outside influence or manipulation. And if the court think that, thinks that that's the case, they will assign an individual or an organization to handle certain affairs for that person and help them care for their life. And so typically this is used for like elderly people or individuals with disabilities who, you know, have legally become adults, but still may be vulnerable in some ways. And so in California, where of course Brittany is from, or at least not from, but she lives here and has been here for a while, there are two types of conservatorships. And so there's one that covers finances and estates. And then there's the other that covers personal matters like health and medical and well-being, et cetera. And so for a long time, the entire conservatorship, the entire conservatorship was controlled by her dad, Jamie Spears. But at different points, there were other people and organizations that were appointed as co-conservators. Um, but, you know, it's, it's worth noting that her dad was pretty constant and really only stepped down momentarily or temporarily, I should say, when he was having some medical issues of his own. 
And so we don't want to get into the weeds too much. Again, go listen to that episode. But as a reminder, it was reported that Jamie was making approximately $16,000 a month as her conservator. Mm-hmm. And then in 2019, it's worth noting that her personal matters actually started to be managed by this woman, Jody Montgomery, while Jamie continued to oversee her finances and income only. So around the same time that Jody kind of comes into the picture, pressure really mounts and like it, there's a bunch, basically a, and a ton of attention and scrutiny that's directed towards Britney even being in this conservatorship. And there's this movement called hashtag free Britney that starts to pick up steam. And so in the summer of 2021, Britney actually starts to speak out publicly against the conservatorship and accuses her dad of exploiting her and starts asking for it to be terminated after like many, many years of silence. And to your Mm -hmm, point, like mm -hmm. there were a lot of people who just as avidly as you follow her Instagram were following her movements and like really scrutinizing her posts and whether it was her and whether the words were coming from her and whether people were like basically forcing her to dance to make it seem like things were okay. Mm -hmm. And that really like kind of keeps building as like the New York times documentary comes out and then she speaks. Right. Okay. So all this being said in July of 2021, Brittany's court appointed attorney resigns and she's finally able to choose her own attorney whose name is Matthew Rosengart and was a former prosecutor who worked with other big stars. And so this guy basically comes in like guns a fucking blazing mm-hmm. and immediately asked Jamie to resign. Like that was the first paperwork that he basically filed and came out very quickly and said, like, my goal is to get Brittany out of this conservatorship as soon as possible since she doesn't want to be in it. Right. And so after that, of course, you know, things get a little murky. But in so September, Jamie basically files to to terminate the conservatorship altogether and not just his involvement. And he says that she's recently shown independence. I don't know what changed in in those recent (laughs) moments, but recently in air quotes, yeah, she has shown independence. So while this sounds nice, it may be because it if by terminating the conservatorship altogether, it would allow Jamie to avoid investigation and get his legal fa- fees paid by Brittany before the conservatorship ended. Mm-hmm. And so her lawyer, Rosengar, also asked the judge to halt the termination instead of replacing and instead replace Jamie with a CPA named John Zabel, because Zabel would then get access to all the privileged and confidential documents related to the trust and her finances, including like 13 years of financial records and very importantly, communications between Jamie and the lawyers, which again, Zabel would get access to as a new conservator. And it would kind of reveal like what had really been going on behind the scenes for all these years, especially given some of the new claims by Brittany and some of the claims by the people who, you know, obviously like just fans, but mm-hmm. had, had had a reason to, to question the entire situation. And so it's really key to point out that if the conservatorship was terminated altogether, access to those documents would have been much harder. So it makes sense. We think that the lawyer, Rosengart, was like, listen, I want it to end. She wants it to end, but let's not end it just yet until we've made sure that we've done our due diligence into what's been going on. Mm-hmm. And so again, you know, Rosengart doesn't want to lose access because he wants to look into Jamie's conduct including claims that he was spying on Britney and had surveillance over her bedroom and phone for many years and that he was controlling her social media and he may have lied about amounts spent on her legal fees, management, etc. And so basically, you know, Rosengart thinks that Jamie has committed a lot of misconduct and could possibly even face his own civil and criminal charges mm-hmm. for what he's been doing. And so all of that kind of results in, in late September, the judge removing Jamie altogether from the conservatorship, but not terminating it just yet. Mm -hmm. 
so what we've got now that was a lot we've got a lot there's always so much when we go for Brittany there's oh poor Brittany hopefully after this not too much more for her but mid-November so about a month and a half ago Brittany's conservatorship is actually terminated so congratulations to Brittany finally um and essentially it's important to note that it's important when this happens, especially because it's been years, right, that she's been in this conservatorship. Essentially, the court and her current conservatives, so that's Jody Montgomery on the personal matters and John Zabel on the financial and estate matters, mm-hmm. are putting a plan together for an orderly transition of all her affairs and responsibilities since, you know, that hadn't been within her control. So they don't want to just kind of dump it all on her, right? And then it overwhelm her and she'd be unable to manage everything. Mm-hmm. So it's important to work out this timeline and a plan for transition. Um, and it's important to note here too, that this includes John, the CPA, um, that we previously mentioned, staying on in administrative capacity until January 19th, which is the date of the next hearing. As of now, of course, things things can change, but as of now, January 19th, so that he can essentially set up a new trust for Brittany and transfer her assets into that. So it's no longer the conservatorship's trust. It's now her own trust that she will be in full control of. Mm-hmm. And it's also worth noting here, uh, what I found really interesting was that Jamie had requested, I think five days after the conservatorship was terminated, he asked for access from the court to uh, see her estate plan. Again, even after the conservatorship terminated and John, the new conservator CPA quickly objected to this and both co-conservatives, John and Jody, their attorneys contended that Jane had planted a term in Brittany's prior estate plan that would have required her to go through the courts to change it which sounds really suspicious, right? Very because sus. as individuals, if you have an estate plan, you shouldn't need anyone's permission or to mm-hmm. go through anybody to change it. You call mm-hmm. the lawyer, you say, uh, I want to replace this person with that person. You're done. Yep. So this was very weird. And so there's some speculation here about why, but again, this is, this is what we could find. It sounds like this is why the co-conservators thought no way, like you shouldn't have access to this. And at this hearing, her attorney makes it clear, Brittany's attorney makes it clear that they're still going to investigate the abuse, the alleged abuses and financial mismanagement that she accused Jamie of during earlier hearings, as well as the wrongdoing of others. Because, you know, we've talked about in the Brittany episode, it wasn't just Jamie who was a conservator at any point in time. There were also other organizations with him, her management team, even um, that it looks like there might have been some shady dealings because Jamie wasn't operating as a standalone person, right? He had other companies. He had other people helping him do things mm-hmm. and specifically allegations of surveillance and even forced birth control, which again, we go into more detail on our episode, but that has been raised. So they're still going to look into this stuff. So even with this, there's a court filing pending with a request to depose Jamie and retrieve materials related to the alleged surveillance of Brittany. And her lawyer hired forensic accountants to look into how he used her money while running the conservatorship. So just because essentially what we want to get across is just because the conservatorship is now terminated doesn't mean all these other things are going to stop too. That's still ongoing. Mm-hmm. And then there was another December hearing earlier this month um, where Brittany essentially was able to get the power to execute her own documents and agreements, which it's crazy to say that it took a separate hearing to get. This. Right. It sounds also sounds so trivial, too. Right. Because right. So many, like, we all, you know, for the most part, have the ability to like sign our own leases and sign our own, co- you know, car 
agreement. I don't even, is that called the lease as well? <laughs> lease? You can, yeah, if you're a That's finance, a lease yeah. too, okay. Unless you're paying all cash, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, you know, those documents that like you get on day-to-day basis, most yeah. of us can just sign them so freely, but people like didn't even think about the fact that as a result of her being in this conservatorship, she couldn't enter into, enter into any of agreements on her own self. Yeah, no contract. On her own I, self, I on think her we own, understand. <laughs> on behalf of herself. <laughs> Nicole, you just need a little tequila shot to get you awake. That's all you need, girl. Uh, it's crazy. I'm over here like drinking tea, but you know, end that's of year, guys, that, that's bear with us. That's the problem. We need the tequila to get us awake. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, but it, that you're exactly right. Like, like that's the most, this is just, there's so many heartbreaking parts of this, but that is one of them. And she couldn't even enter into her own contract. She had to ask her dad for permission, essentially. And it's worth noting that the same hearing, her att- her attorney says that Jamie has been avoiding depositions and hasn't cooperated with requests for documents um, regarding his possible abuse. Shocking. I will say his attorneys claim that they've turned over, I think they said hundreds of thousands of documents and all this stuff, but I couldn't help but think it sounded like a data dump, which is something that we've talked about before, too, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where essentially like if someone's being investigated and, you know, the prosecution or the plaintiff is looking for information through the discovery process Mm -hmm. at trial, discovery process is what it sounds like where you're discovering um, facts and evidence so you can make requests for documents. Um, Sometimes what will happen is, you know, if if you know you might have or it doesn't have to be, but I think that if you know that there's some incriminating stuff in your possession, what you can do is just overload the other side with like tons and tons of documents hoping that it'll just kind of get drowned and then it'll be like you know a needle in a haystack because if if it's like one sentence on one page and you send five hundred thousand dollars five hundred thousand pages maybe they won't see it um but anyways, so re- recently, Brittany's been speaking out against other wrongdoings against her, too. She claimed that her father forced her to do the interview in 2003 with Diane Sawyer when Brittany was just 21 years old. Um, I feel like everybody's turning on Diane Sawyer right now, because first of all, I, I agree that Diane Sawyer did a very nasty interview with Brittany. Like we all know when she basically talks about right. the allegations about her cheating on Justin, et cetera, all of that. And you can tell this girl's super fragile, but even I saw, cause I'm petty and I like to like, you know, just do a little like Instagram discoveries. No. But so Katie Couric was going and liking all of these comments on Instagram that were like, really criticizing Diane Sawyer. And I was like, wow, this is so petty, but I love it. It makes sense. She's like, there can only be one. You're Listen, out. Listen, <laughs> I, lo- I was always a Katie Couric fan. Let me say team Katie. That makes sense. Um, all right. Well, Diane, it's not looking good for Diane. Uh, and she hasn't spoken out about it, right? She hasn't like, said anything. anything. Nope. Uh, I will say that I saw that uh, Jamie, Brittany's dad, did say that he had nothing to do with it, that he wasn't even involved, wasn't even really talking to Brittany at that time. I have a hard time believing that. I mean, web of lies, just lies after lies. Yeah. You wanna, tell us, tell us what's the, what's the latest, though? What's the next thing here? Well, so Brittany has a hearing set on January 19th in 2022. So I guess we're like a month out at this point to address certain financial and accounting matters as she like takes back control of her estate. And so namely, the court will review expenses tied to the conservatorship and decide whether or not they should be approved. And so it's worth noting the court will actually typically defer to the professionals, but will also like be looking for misconduct, especially given 
kind of the attention around this one and how long she was obviously under the conservatorship. And so there's one current issue in specific that they'll be reviewing. And so there are fees being charged by Jamie and Lynn, Brittany's mom's law firms, which total over $2 million, plus the compensation that Jamie is requesting for his work as conservator. As a reminder, that's $16,000 a month, plus approximately $2,000 a month for office for his like office expenses. Mm-hmm. So note that once courts have signed off on fees, it's hard to challenge financial decisions made during the time. But if there's evidence that a conservator misled the court or that there was any wrongdoing, basically, the court will investigate. So in this scenario, they're really kind of like looking into these expenses and deciding whether to approve them or not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we'll see how far Brittany will want to go into challenging her dad's decisions while he was conservator. But I think there is the writing is on the wall that like this is far from over and that there are still a lot of questions involving whether he did any, like whether there was any misconduct on her as part or like overspending or just taking her money altogether. And so, you know, while we're obviously happy with the progress that's been made so far, right? The term, the conservatorship is terminated and she'll definitely be out of it. There's still, I think, a long journey to come in terms of like mm-hmm. Brittany's ultimate freedom and kind of wrong, righting the wrongs that have been done to her by Jamie. Right. Yep. Completely agree. Speaking of righting some wrongs. Oh, God. Who's writing wrongs this time? We we gotta I can't we can't leave 2021 without going back to our girl, Mrs. El Chapo. The original gangster of them all. <laughs> Only second to Patrizia Gucci. The, car- the cartel crew. For real. These these mob wives. I mean, Patrizia She wasn't like, even a mob wife. <laughs> she acts like one. She acts like one. She's Gucci for life. Like, she did. <laughs> you're like, what? You're not even a mobster. You're like a fashion house. What you I hope she's got that house? tatted somewhere. I'm sure she does. Uh, we got we got to go back to that because our 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 girl Mrs. El Chapo has uh, there's some 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 new stuff, my friend. Um, go for it. Tell us lo- a little refreshers. Um, if you guys have not seriously, if you have not listened to our El Chapo episode, please. That's probably one of my favorite. It was episodes. a really good one. That one and and Patricia really are some some just crazy individuals. But anyway, Mrs. El Chapo. Emma Coronel Aispuro, a.k.a. Mrs. El Chapo, for our purposes. She is the wife of Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, who has infamously run the Sinaloa cartel for almost 30 years, people. And if you have never heard of him, you've been living under a rock um, where actually El Chapo wishes he was right now because um, he's tried to escape. He's known essentially for having escaped prison a couple of times. Just a few. Just just a couple. He's he's big on the tunnels. And essentially, he was extradited from Mexico to the U.S. and was ultimately convicted of federal drug weapons and money laundering charges. He gets life plus 30 years where he's currently serving out that sentence in Colorado. Mm-hmm. He ends up having to forfeit twelve point six billion dollars, although unclear if he actually was in possession of that much. So don't know if the government ever got that. But after the trial, Mrs. El Chapo tries out becoming a social media influencer and even appears on a reality show called Cartel Crew. Don't ask if you don't know what we're talking about. Go listen to that episode. It is ridiculous. And in February of 2021 this year, she voluntarily surrendered to U.S. authorities for a couple charges, conspiracy to unlawfully import and distribute illegal drugs and being an accomplice there too, and aiding her husband in his 2015 
escape from prison via a tunnel. Please go listen to our episode and his <laughs> attempted escape in 2016. I'm sorry. I'm just picturing El Chapo on that like motorized bike. Not actually. I think that was the favorite thing. My lucky, like, your favorite thing that you learned this year. I just, this, this little Mexican man on a bike being dragged with a rope for a mile. <laughs> it's just beautiful. Um, there was some speculation that she had already entered into a cooperation agreement with the U S government prior to her turn herself in, um, essentially where she had agreed to provide information in exchange for leniency in her own case. She's ultimately detained without bond, um, because she's seen as a flight risk as she has access to presumably a lot of money being, mm-hmm. you know, Mrs. El Chapo. And at the time she was looking at 10 years to life plus a $10 million fine. Casual. That's where we last left off. Now, Nicole, where are we at? Well, so in November this year, last month, she enters into a plea deal and plead, pled guilty to three federal offenses. The first one was knowingly and willingly conspiring to distribute heroin, cocaine, marijuana, and methamphetamine for several years. And so specifically, she actually admits to helping move at least 450 kilograms of cocaine, 90 kilograms of heroin, and almost 90,000 kilograms of marijuana into the United States over the years, which the government noted actually made her a minimal participant compared to the like larger cartel scheme, of course, right? So like, imagine all of the kilograms that we just said that she helped move and that making her be considered a minimal participant. That tells you how big the cartel is, huh? Crazy, crazy. That's what they're doing. So second second charge that she pled guilty was to was money laundering conspiracy charge. And then the third was engaging in transactions with a foreign narcotics trafficker. And so Emma ultimately gets uh, sentenced to three years in prison and agreed to turn over approximately $1.5 million and would be subject to four years of supervised release once she's, you know, out of prison. And so there had been speculation that part of her plea would include ratting out other members of the Sinaloa cartel. But according to court papers, she's only cooperated with the government in in the prosecution of her own case and no one else. And her attorney noted, in quotes, I don't know if she can ever go back to her home in Mexico. So seemingly, even though she ratted out herself, that's enough to put her in hot water and not be able to go kick it with the cartel any longer. Yeah, I don't know. The damage is done, huh? I think so. I'm sure like I wonder if you'd believe it if you're part of the cartel. Right. I would be very like, like, why did you even go to the U.S.? You could have stood here. Like if I'm the cartel, the flip side is her husband had a lot of enemies. Yeah. And what do you do when your husband's taken away and there's going to be a vie for power especially with Los Chapolitos, as we've talked about his three sons, who knows what kind of relationship she had with them? I, I just feel like she was put in such a tough spot. I mean, at that point, like, who even wants to go back? Like, I'm sure, like, obviously, if her family is still there, of course, you miss home. But it has to be so dangerous there for her with, like, everything that's happened that I would be like, honestly, just fuck it. Uh, maybe right. prison is the safest place for me. All right. I, I truly I do think of Game of Thrones. I, I forgot if you said that in reference to this or something else, but uh, in this episode. But I feel like one, like if you're married to the king and the king is beheaded and taken out you're like yeah. oh, i can't be here i'm not gonna be the next king like i gotta go I'm like the fuck out yeah you can't stay there's gonna be a vibe for power get out of yeah, there I hear it. it's like pretty tough right now too because it's like uh, the sinaloa cartel obviously one of the most dangerous cartels in the world it's like his three sons and then his like bff who are trying to keep it together but that was probably hanging by a thread so yeah 
anyway, good luck, girl. Um, hope, hopefully you find really good witness protection afterward. Cause uh, yeah. I'm <laughs> real worried about you. I'm not going to lie. Maybe Dr. Dre can pay her security expenses as well. Maybe, maybe he's feeling really generous. Maybe catch him in a good mood, girl. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> oh man. Um, and then we have one more kind, kind of update, non-update, right? We, we, we can't end this episode without talking about Travis Scott and yep. the Astro World Festival tragedy. So, you know, we put together a really extensive episode um, about where things were at the time we recorded because there has just been so much information coming out since then um, where I feel like one day passes and you're it's already old news about what happened the day prior because there's so many more claims coming out. There's so many more um, plaintiffs coming out. And so unfortunately we have to report that since our last episode one more person has passed away from astral world there's now mm-hmm. in total 10 people who have sadly passed away and i you know we it's just it's so sad and, and of course hundreds have been injured and yeah. we wanted to be very thoughtful in the update that we do give uh especially i mean considering the gravity of the situation and we are continuing to monitor the situation and really want to do a separate episode once we have more information. Um, right now, so many things have changed. And in some ways, not many things have changed because we're seeing so many lawsuits that have very similar claims by different plaintiffs. And so what Nicole and I want to do is give it some time before we fully report on where things are. We want to see kind of how the courts treat these things, you know, as of right now, of course, um, all of the defendants of so Travis Scott, Live Nation, they're all lawyering up. Everybody's lawyered up, essentially. They're in the courts. Travis Scott has asked for a dismissal of several lawsuits, but we want the courts to kind of weigh in on these complaints before we really speak to them. But we can say as of now, there are hundreds of lawsuits <laughs> or mm-hmm. over 100 lawsuits that are out. Um, there are hundreds of plaintiffs, um, multiple class action lawsuits. And I think the total ask is well into the billions at yep. this point in yep. terms of wanting financial compensation from all the defendants as a whole. Nicole, I don't know if I missed anything. Feel free to chime in. No, I think you got it all. You know, there's just so many people and with very similar claims and a lot of money on the line right now. But there's also so many defendants to sort through, as we talked about in our episode between Live Nation, Travis, the park, the security companies, even Drake is named in a few of them. So like Alexa said, I, I just think, you know, we both think that given the gravity of all of this and how serious these things are, we really want to make sure we've taken the time um, to kind of get into some of these updates, especially once the court has had an opportunity to weigh in so that we can come back to you guys with a, like, a really well thought out um, kind of response and update. But this is all to say that like we're definitely tracking the situation. Um, and, you know, we'll just, we're just curious to see how this all turns out. There's so much there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with that, those are our 2021 updates, my friend. So that kicks off a great first year for the Legally Judgy podcast. Yeah. Um, we want to get into our next segment, our last one of 2021, our Q&A. So in um, honor of our it being our last episode, we're going to answer two questions we received this year because we specifically asked for 2021 questions. And these are the ones that we got. So we want to make sure we answer um, these this year. So one question we received from a judgey was what's the first thing they teach you in law school? And 
you wonderful, wonderful judgy. We are old. It's been years since my first (laughs) year in law school. I wish I could remember. I will say the, the, the lasting impression, one of the, one of the big lasting impressions I had from law school was the Socratic method. Um, I don't think I was as familiar with that method of teaching in quotation marks, um, before I went to law school, but essentially it's basically where, um, a professor will ask a question to a random student. So he'll like, I, in my experience, I think in my first year, there was only one professor, thank God that, that practiced with the Socratic method. And he would ask, he would give the fact pattern. He would ask the question. You would have no, he wouldn't call on you. So you didn't know it was coming to you. So you're on the edge of your seat the entire time. Cause you're just focusing on like, please don't call me. Please don't call me. Please don't call me. He would ask the question. And then it'd be like, Alexa, please answer the question. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm on the spot. But then I was so focused on it being me that I'm like, can, can you repeat the question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know if we, I don't know if we ever talked about this and I have people who can back this up for me, but I got cold called 23 times in contracts first semester of law school. You counted? People started keeping count because at a certain point, like, okay, so typically <laughs> FYI into law school, typically only like, I, at least at, at Penn, Per class, you would get like maybe a person or two, maybe three people who get cold called a day because obviously the teacher, mm-hmm. the professors are teaching, right? And they're going yeah. through cases. And so there's so much happening that only so many people can get cold called per day. But for some fucking reason, this professor cold called me 23 times that semester. Wow. He liked you, huh? It was a lady. Thank you. He and he liked you, huh? I did not like her. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh oh. Not very feminist of her. Let me say the first thing that they taught us in law school. So I remember at least, and I'm actually curious because these are the same classes that you had. My first semester classes were torts, contracts, mm-hmm. civil procedures, mm-hmm. a- yeah. aka civ pro. I hate that. Yeah. And then we had crim. like, le- huh? Crim. No, I had crim second semester. Um, but we did have like this like legal writing class and then it had oh, like yeah, a seminar attached to it. So that was like my first year, my first semester, first year kind of. Uh huh. Kate course load. Torts was my second semester. I think that was inverted. So I did crim first. Okay. Cause I remember liking crim. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Yeah. Crim um, was interesting. I guess like the other thing they, the, one of the first things too, was like, I don't know. I can't remember what like the professors taught me, but I remember like the, the tips that I received was like outlining. Right. Cause it was like a, a specific way of, of taking notes and then studying for exams. Mm-hmm. It's like one big exam at the end of the year. And that determines your entire grade. Or sorry, at the end of the semester. Literally. Uh, and so you're supposed to outline. Don't ask me what that is. I still don't understand it. Um, but no, you're like, you're outlining like all the cases that you've studied and read for that semester to ultimately be able to write essays essentially on like fact mm-hmm. patterns. Um, terrible, terrible. So that's what we learned. It's, pro- it's not as exciting, I'm sure, to non-lawyers. To this is not even that. fun. No, no I'm not. sure nobody wants to hear about this. If you want to hear more about this, feel free to directly DM us and we'll answer you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think they were hoping for some, like, something really juicy um, no. and legalese. Uh, oh, I, the first thing I learned was that I didn't like civil procedure. I'll tell you that. I was mm-hmm, like, I do mm-hmm. not want to be- become a litigator. It's like, it sounds really boring and I don't yeah. care about any of this. Agreed. All right. The next question we got um, that we want to make sure we answer this year is who is y'all's dream podcast guest? That's a pretty good question. You go first. Kim Kardashian. Can I tell you what's so funny? I was thinking Kanye. 
So I feel like we're on exact opposite wavelengths right now. That makes sense. <laughs> I want to, I just, Why I, have Kim? So, I have so many questions for her. One, how does it feel passing the baby bar the fourth time? Also, ready? can we just, can we, can we, can we, can we, can we, can we, can we just clarify, well, right? We're upset. We're no, upset. because I feel like I've seen so many people being like, oh my God, congrats. Kim's an attorney. Like Kim is not a fucking attorney. The oh. baby bar exam is an exam that you take at the end of your first year in air quotes of law school, people who don't actually go to school. So she still has many studies left to do and still has to take the real bar exam, which is a three-day in-person exam if you live in California. And so she's not an attorney. Now go ahead. What questions do you have for her? Better, my friend. It's now two days in California too. Oh, is it two now? I was the second to last cohort to have to take the three-day exam. Yeah, I was super happy and thrilled when it got changed to two. I'm sure. (laughs) Um, uh, yes, good point though. And I, to that end, because we were petty and judgy here, everybody who on the Instagram poll said that you'd rather be repped by her over us. Just keep what Nicole said in mind. Um, when she's, she's not even a real attorney, (laughs) (laughs) you just called like 14% of our judges bitches, but (laughs) for judgy, you know, to expect that from us. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, if you, if you listen to us, you know, our vibes. To be fair, Nicole and I call each other a bitch like at least all the time today, but it's usually like, bitch, if it makes you feel any better. This is one of those moments that I've talked about where I like look back and I regret it. I was FaceTiming with my cousin today and my aunt and my grandma arrived for the holidays. And so we were FaceTiming. She turned the camera around. I was like, what's up, bitches? And I was like, wow, I just called my aunt and my grandma bitches. You did? I swear to God, I did. did I think they were like so flustered from coming in off of like driving down that they were like, okay. (laughs) They're like two years in quarantine. She's become uncultured swine. I know. I know. I'm sorry, guys. I just call everybody bitches. Um, no, that was funny. So Kim K, I, I'm just so, I mean, it was in part a joke, but in part, I mean, if she was like, yeah, let me, first of all, she's really famous. So that would make our podcast pretty famous. Um, okay. It's completely self-interested. Not self-serving at all. <laughs> everything, almost everything I do is self-serving. Um, second of all, she's self-serving. So we would really get along. And I would just like, I, I want to ask, I want to pick her brain about like why law like I know it's tied to her dad but I want to know practically like given the businesses that you have um what is the intrigue into law and like what do you actually plan on doing with you know Mm -hmm. presuming you you become barred what do you like are you going to practice full-time like are you going to give up on your other businesses are you going to let them be managed by other people like I just want to know because you know not when we first started talking about doing a podcast together we actually thought we would interview ex-lawyers right mm-hmm. that was the original idea behind our ridiculous podcast. so different who would ridiculous <laughs> here is like the opposite right she's already a really successful entrepreneur she's worth million like hundreds of millions of dollars and she wants to become a lawyer i yeah. mean let's be real you and i are hoping to do the opposite we want to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars and not practice and not practicing never talking with the law again so i want to ask her like maybe you don't i want to also warn her like, maybe maybe you don't realize what it's like to practice law or maybe it's a privilege maybe it's better for her because she doesn't need to do it you yeah, she'll still when she feels like it, like once a month, she'll pretend to be take a lawyer, on a, take on a case. Yeah. You know, and what I was thinking in our judge's defense, you did vote for her. I was thinking like, hey, maybe I would go for her because she's so rich. Like she would be able to <laughs> represent you for of, free. A lot of resource or yeah, or pay for the resources I need to, you know, win my case. Yeah. Anyway, talk about why you want Kanye. Well, first of all, you know, that we are a big Kanye household. Um not new Kanye brand brand new Kanye is a bit much, but yeah, Kanye to, from to be specific <laughs> Kanye back. No, not 
no, fuck, certainly not MAGA Kanye. But Kanye back in the day was is it you know Kanye's still a genius, I think musically, and he always will be. But I think Kanye back in the day had like a je ne sais quoi to him that just made him very. <laughs> I'm looking at you like you're so obnoxious. Je ne sais quoi. That's why you and Kanye would get along, and me and Kim would be basic bitches over here. Like, so what's your workout routine? I knew that she would love me saying je ne sais quoi. So, anyways, Kanye had like something to him. He was just like so creative and and just always thinking of new things and like really kind of changing art and culture all of that so for so old kanye i am certainly a huge fan of but i also think that you just never know what you're going to get when you talk to kanye which i love like i love a good surprise element to things you know what i mean and so like okay. i just think he would be so interesting like who the fuck would know who would know like what he discloses that day who he hates who he loves is he is he still trying to win kim back is he over her like i'm just here for the tea i would genuinely try to have a conversation with him but i feel like we wouldn't be having the same conversation no we'd be on a a different plan i would ask him a question i swear he i I imagine him like all of a sudden talking about outer space i'm like what i didn't ask about that at all like where are we what are we talking about i think i'd just be so confused the entire time it's fine it would be worth it I mean, you're definitely a bigger Kanye fan. I do like old Kanye, but I just can't get past the new Kanye. It's it's very I have a love hate. Anyway, we don't need to to uh, sit on that anymore. <laughs> um, moving in to our special Patreon content, people, if you are not signed up with our Patreon, go sign up because you're missing out on a lot. OK, OK, judges, don't forget. Tell your friends, your families, your baristas, your school teachers, your innkeepers, your gatekeepers, tell all the keepers about Legally Judgy, please. We really want to go out with a bang in 2021. We want to welcome 2022 with a bang. And that means getting more judges um, involved in our show. Of course, reach out if you have any um, topics uh, for suggestion for next year. We'll happily take it. Always feel yes, please. to reach out with questions, anything. We can't stress it enough um, to reach out with any and all thoughts. We're always here. With that being said, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Legally Judgy. We hope you enjoyed listening to us talk as much as we love the sound of our own voices. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Also join us on our Patreon for more judgy shits and giggles. Until next time. Bye.